0: Welcome into the Daily Line of Sports Podcast. It's Josh Peach and Carson Gordy here, uh, podcasting remotely for our first time over this winter break season. Uh, Carson, how is your break going so far?
1: How's my break? I've slept a lot. I've been sleeping like 10 hours a day. It's awesome. Dude, me too. Exactly the same. Am I going to grow? Am I finally going to hit six feet? Get a I don't know, maybe.
0: Up? You'll get that extra half an inch in. Hey,
1: I'll take it. That's what I need.
0: It's kind of yeah, nice, like, not having to wake up for 9 a.m. classes. Just getting to sleep in the
1: comfort of your own home, not having too much noise or stress to worry about. I'd say the best part's food because yeah. in college I eat like crap and I usually don't have snacks around the house, but when you live with your parents, I mean, the cabins are always full. So uh, It's
0: a good way to spend less money too. Parents take care of you. Yeah.
1: Exactly. About to go to a casino with my dad, which is pretty That's exciting. Fun. How, uh,
0: able... how far do you have to go to get to a casino?
1: I think like 40 minutes. It's not too
0: bad. Is that in Illinois or Wisconsin? Illinois. Okay. Good for you.
1: Blackjack. Drop a bet on the Idaho potato bowl.
0: Yeah. Why not? Yeah, Yeah, well, I'll be going to uh, St. Louis in a couple of days to watch Illinois versus Missouri, and we'll get to that a little bit, but before that, we got to talk about most recent to uh, Illinois basketball games, because they haven't exactly gone as planned for Illinois, starting with the Penn State game that was last Saturday, a game that a lot of people thought Illinois would win probably by double digits. They end up losing 74 to 59 to a Penn State team that not only wasn't ranked, but doesn't start anyone over six foot six. And I think that the underlying problems there, as we saw, were with the offense only scoring 59 points, which is a huge concern for a team that has as much talent as Illinois
1: does. Yeah. You know, defensively, you know, the switch everything defense like Derek Piper has been starting to write about, I mean, it could be an issue for Illinois. You know, it does create unfavorable matchups with size, but I really don't think defense is the issue. I mean, they are extremely talented when you got Terrence Shannon, Matt Meyer, you got um, Coleman Hawkins. I mean, they have length, they rebound and usually on ball defense is pretty good. The offense has been atrocious and I think it's because there is a lack of identity among the top players Like Terrence Shannon Jr. needs to attack the rim on most possessions. That's his bread and butter. Coleman Hawkins, he is so not assertive. He's so passive with the basketball. He's driving to the hoop, and then he just throws it backwards to the three-point line. When he does decide to shoot, it seems like he's more comfortable with jump shots. Well, he's not efficient. So if Coleman Hawkins, if Terrence Shannon sticks to the roles of attacking the rim more, I think the offense could be pretty decent. I mean, 59 points is unacceptable against Penn State. 68 points against Alabama a and I mean, they couldn't score for the first 10 minutes of the second half.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, when you're looking at a guy like Coleman Hawkins, it's weird to assess his game because he's actually playing his role for him as a player very, very well, except for one thing, because he's playing very good defense. He's passing the ball well. He's rebounding. He's gotten some steals. But like you, you know, alluded to, Coleman's not being aggressive enough. We see Brad saying, Coleman, I want you to shoot a three. Now, the stats don't exactly, you know, uh, line up with that Coleman's been pretty inefic- inefficient going one for in a lot of games where that's one for three one for four one for five but we have seen him have spurts like against Syracuse or in one of those you know mid-major type of early bye games where he has hit the shot the problem is exactly what you said when you're on a fast break and you have a you know guy that's six foot three covering you you've got to go in and try a layup there because if you don't feel confident in your ability to get the ball in a hoop against an inferior six three opponent how are you ever going to score the ball, right? It's kind of the same with Taryn Shannon, except for he has shown us that he wants to get there, but in games like Texas in the first half, or in games like Penn State pretty much the entire time, you're the guy that needs to get to the rim, whether that's getting the ball in the basket or getting fouled and going to the free throw line to try and slow down the other team. And if your two, you know, main bucket getters per se aren't getting to the rim, yeah, you're going to have problems and not score 60 points against an inferior opponent.
1: Well, that's the same with Coleman Hawkins. Against Syracuse, he had 11 shot attempts. Nine of them were inside of the three-point line. So that means he was, you know, shooting near the rim. And that was his most efficient game. I mean, I think he went seven of 11 or eight of 11. It it was incredible. He had a Granted, they were mostly within like six feet, but. Well, that's the point. He's 6'10". You need to use your bully pulpit of size. I mean, if you take out the first game of the season where Coleman made five three-pointers in the first half, he's awful. I mean, he's just not efficient. So, you know, everybody likes to talk about, you know, the locker room chemistry is kind of off and, you know, mayors kind of going off in the post-game press conferences. Did this really just start with the Penn State game? Obviously, it's been going on all year. Obviously, it went on during UCLA. Obviously, it went on during Texas. But when they're winning the big games, it seems like it's pretty silent. It seems like yeah. they're happy. You know, the big thing is we need to fix the offense. We'll need to know the roles. I think it's fantastic that Matt Mayer is scoring 21 points, but I'm not counting on him against Michigan or Purdue, you no. know, to put up those numbers. That is Terrence Shannon. When it's overtime against Texas, what did Matt Meyer do? Nothing. He did nothing. I mean, but you know, Terrence Shannon scores 12 points in the final, I don't know, 12 minutes.
0: Yeah. And like, like you said, Terrence, that's his job. It could be Coleman's job. I think we've all expected a little bit more out of RJ this year. But someone that actually has stepped up has been Jaden Epps, right? And when he is on, Illinois kind of goes. Like we saw that a little bit against UCLA, especially we saw it in the last six or seven minutes against Texas. But he's one of those guys, sort of like Taryn Shannon, that has just been way too inconsistent because the thing about Jaden is that he might be the best two-way offensive player on the team, actually, with his ability to get to the basket and step out behind the three-point line, you know, and be able to dry, drive in on his own, et cetera. But again, you know, he's a freshman. You can't always expect that out of a freshman. It's kind of like, oh, we want to see this out of Sky Clark, but it's been, you know, said by him, the coaching staff, whoever that Sky Clark's a project. I think he'll get there. He has a good shot. He can get to the rim, but he needs to get his aggressiveness and agility back. So again, you look at guys like Terrence and Jaden, but if they're too inconsistent, like we've seen throughout this year, you're going to go through those growing pains and long droughts of not scoring. But unfortunately, in must-win games like Penn State, you can't do that. And then if you do, well, clearly Illinois doesn't have a go-to guy besides them. So that's how you get to your 59 points. And like like you said, we even saw it against Alabama A&M. They scored in the 60s. You start off the second half scoring, what, one or two points in 10 minutes or something like that. It's just unacceptable.
1: I'm going to say that was a worse game than Penn State. Penn State, so too. it's a veteran Big Ten team. They're projected to make the in-state tournament this year. They're one of the top three-point uh, shooting teams in the country. Yeah, crap happens. That's what happens in the Big Ten. You lose those kind of games. Alabama and a they are ranked 330th out of 340 basketball teams. They couldn't shoot the ball either. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams. And that was a one-point game with 10 minutes left. I mean, the first nine minutes of the second half was absolutely disgusting. And that's why I think Coleman Hawkins is probably the most disappointing player on the roster so far this year. See, I mean, I'm not sure to talk about how the offense runs through Coleman, but should it? When Illinois thrives, it's when it has a nice point guard that can facilitate the ball and attack the rim, and they have a front court presence. Kofi Coburn, Andre Cabello, I would assume Kofi Coburn. Granted, we don't have those kind of all Americans this year, but why is it Coleman's job? Why is it the 6'10 center's job to get others involved?
0: I I really don't think it's fair to say that Coleman's the most disappointed on the roster because, like I said, everything else he's done very, very, very well. His passing game's elite. He's been great on defense, except for a couple minor miscommunications. He's blocked shots. He's gotten offensive rebounds. That's all been good. But it's the scoring part, like we said, that has not been there. Because even when you have your worst defensive game of the year, you still only gave up 74 points. Like You should be expecting to score 75 or 80, especially on a team like Penn State anyways. So I mean Alabama was Alabama A and M was bad, but I still think Penn State was worse just because Alabama A and M against opponent opponent like that or like you know Kansas City or uh, what you know Bethune College who they have coming up whatever those type of teams are that's where you have your growing pains. Penn State is a Big Ten game that you have to win to win the Big Ten conference. You're 0 2 now when you think that you can only lose four or five games to potentially win the Big Ten title. That's not good because we know how much conference champion plays into ncaa seeding. so yes you know you get the big wins over ucla and texas the maryland loss you don't feel very good about of course maryland just lost to ucla by 20 at home those things happen but that penn state loss man that was terrible like that's not a time for your growing pains especially after a dramatic win uh, in the second half against texas like to me that was terrible whether that's coaching that's effort wise all around awful awful performance i thought that was terrible
1: but penn state like at the time you thought okay that's not liar. You know, they were super energetic against Texas. They had a huge hangover. Penn State made, what, 12 three-pointers. I mean, sometimes you just tip your hat. A lot of people thought, all right, it's one game, not great. But, you know, Alabama and A&M, well, they're going to score 100. They had a whole week to practice. And what changed? It, it was the worst press conference ever. Matt Mayer's throwing people under the bus. Coleman Hawkins is throwing people under the bus. Brad Underwood pretty much admits that the locker room's kind of in a weird place right now. You know, what's going to happen against Missouri? Like, what happens when they miss their three-point shots against Missouri?
0: I think That's I disagree with you with Brad agreeing that there were problems. I think that he did the opposite, actually. And then I saw, you know, Matt Mayer on the social media, like Twitter, being like, oh, people took things out of proportion. Like, we've got the best coaching staff in the country, and we're going to be fine. Like, growing pains happen with every team. Every team has miscommunication in the locker room. Like, no one's going to get along. of the time, unless you're 2018 Villanova, like that's just not going to happen. But I see Missouri as a way for them to bounce back and really put themselves back on the map because you get a huge win over UCLA, your losses to, you know, Virginia and Maryland aren't bad. You come from behind on the biggest game of the week against Texas and you win. Then everything, you know, all of that boom goes to the bottom of the barrel because everyone's thinking about, oh, they couldn't score against Penn State. There's you know disagreements in the locker room. Well, maybe this is their chance to, in a big game, a rivalry game, give the, you know boost the team up a little bit and maybe find some identity because we know that that we know what the defense is. When they're at their best, they're going to give up 50 or 60 points, and at their worst, they're not even going to give up 80. So maybe this is a time for them to find their offensive identity, get a truly and score, and maybe people like Coleman and RJ could finally pick it up and get into double digits or really have an offensive presence.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I just think this team plays up to competition. They play UCLA, they're excited. They play Texas, they're excited. When they're playing Alabama A&M, I think they take their foot off the gas. You know, with the Missouri rivalry with Brad Underwood, what do you start, 1-3? and Yeah, he won his
0: first year and then lost
1: three in a row. Then he lost three in a row. I mean, that was a serious concern for a lot of Illinois fans. People were – they were not happy with that. They should win. I mean, Missouri is 10-1, and but the one team they played was Kansas. And they, Mm -hmm. what, they lost by 30? And then most
0: recently, it took a miracle buzzer beater from 30 feet to beat UCF, who's not very good.
1: No, UCF is an average American athletic conference team. So I can't really judge this Illinois team until they start playing. You know, yeah. that weird Big Ten road game against Rutgers. I can't really judge them until they play like a Wisconsin at home. Yeah. You know, that's just kind of how the team works. Regarding the and 2 conference play start, like, yes, that's a little disappointing. They're probably not going to win the conference championship this year. But how did you really feel about them winning the conference last year and losing the round of 32? I mean, I, it, I don't know. You didn't really care about the co-championship. No, you
0: don't. Like, it, it's fun. Yeah, sure, you get to beat a rival like Iowa and rush the court and all, but none of that matters the second you enter the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah. And so it doesn't matter. But, no, you're right. Uh, before we get specifically into Missouri, I mean, the the one thing that does concern me defensively is that, in the first half against Penn State when they built up that big lead, there were two things going on that should never have happened um, against this Illinois defense. Number one, the six-four, you know, strong, bulky guard, Jalen Pickett, was able to get inside on our three smaller guards, Sky Clark, Sincere Harris, and Jaden Epps, all of whom were freshmen, whether he took them one on one or was someone was switched onto them through a screen. And the second thing was all the wide open threes. Now, both of those were, you know, cut down a little bit in the second half. I counted three open uncontested threes and three times that Jalen Pickett got into, you know, into the lane with a smaller guard on him. But my point is that those were three too many each. When you see it happen that many times, you know, in uh, in the first half, Brad Underwood and the staff has to make an adjustment, whether it's beeping the switch everything and having different communication sets whether it's turning off the switch, everything completely, you cannot allow even a single more open three and you cannot allow Jalen Pickett to go inside because he scored every single freaking time when Epps Clark or sincere Harris was down on him because he's just bigger. He's a bigger presence. And when, you know, you're looking ahead to Missouri, their are leading scorer. And I think I'm going to butcher his name, his first name, at least because he's a, uh, his name is DeMoy Hodge. But he's another 6'4 senior guard that's a little bigger. So you're facing a common opponent and a 6'4 guard like Jalen Pickett and a 6'4 guard like Hodge. How are you going to stop him going down low? Because we did not see one adjustment made on Pickett through the switch everything defense. So I know they only gave up 74 points. But for me, that's a big concern going over the rest of the year because there are going to be nights like we saw that you just can't put the ball in the bucket. So that's when you have to rely on your defense. And if you're still allowing open threes and still allowing someone to get their way, there's an underlying issue.
1: Yeah, and I think a thing that really helps Illinois is always on-ball defense. You know, you see Sincere Harris come in. He makes an impact. You see Matt Meyer. I mean, he makes a big impact when guarding people on-ball. I like to see full-court press. I think that works really well for Illinois. I think they have the athletes. And the big part is rebounding. you got six, seven guys, you got six, seven guards and wings. I mean, I, I'm not too nervous about Illinois' defense. I mean, they've had one bad game this year, and Penn State shot, you know, through the roof yeah so you know with Missouri yeah they might give up some points but the bigger concern is who I know right I'm sorry I'm gonna I'm gonna stand by if Coleman Hawkins is truly one of the best players in the conference he needs to score more than six points I Coleman Hawkins shooting five three-point attempts it's ridiculous it's malpractice I
0: think he has the ability to get into a groove, but still he starts shooting and scoring consistently. I think you're right. His offensive game has not been there. His passing has been there. Everything else has been there. But the last part of his game, he needs to be an elite player, at least in the big ten. he writes the scoring. And if he doesn't prove that, he probably won't get drafted because he's trying to get drafted as like a 3 and D guy. can't get drafted as a 3 and D guy if you can't hit the three. Yeah,
1: he can't. And, you know, Matt's uh, – what's Matt scored recently? 21 points, 18 points, yeah. Ever points. since he
0: started fasting, he's been in double digits.
1: Yeah, but against Penn State, it's 14 points in the first half. Where was he in the second half when he needed a bucket? Invisible. Against Texas, did he score anything in overtime? No. He had a great game against Alabama A&M, 21 points. But I remember watching. I mean, a lot of his points came at the end of the game, you know, an open yeah. three, an open, you know, layup. Where was he when there was a nine-minute scoring draft? So I like Matt, great stats, great defender, but you can't count on him to win you a game offensively.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I I hope that, you know, you look at like Tim Anderson and Brad and specifically whoever's coaching the offense, to really try and put an emphasis on finding some identity. Like I know that we're probably going to have Luke Goody back in a month or whatever, but like that's, that's, that is big, but it's not going to change things dramatically because Luke Goody can't create his own shot. He sort of can off the dribble for a three, but he's not your guy to, take it to the rim and give you a big bucket when it matters. Like I think we've seen Terrence's ability to score same with Jaden apps. It would just nice, be nice to have some consistency someone else that I thought should have had a better game against Penn state. And I think that this had to do with his hands or maybe just one bad game, whatever Dane Dage has got to take advantage when he's three or four inches taller and has a nine inch longer wingspan than anyone on the floor. Like you're six, nine, six ten. If you guys, if you got a six, six guy on you, that's not very big. You've got to take it inside and score my man. Like, I know he did a little bit, but we need more consistency out of him. Like, when your main guys aren't doing it, you can be a spark off the bench to score against smaller opponents, and that's something we haven't seen out of Dane either. Like, I have much higher hopes for him, especially after those first couple games than we've actually seen from
1: Danger. And Dane was great against UCLA. He was. He can play well against Power 5 competition. But, yeah, I mean, the beginning of the season starting to look like an outlier offensively. You know, I think Dane has a very high ceiling. He's got better post moves than Kofi Coburn. He can do reverse layups. It's just been low volume. Again, I, I think it's coaching. You know, I look at Illinois' offense. I don't see a direction. You know, I think this is up to Brad Underwood to really set, you know, goals within, you know, the offense. Like, Terrence, I want you taking 15 shots a game. You know, I want JNEP shooting five three-pointers a game. I want Dane to get 10 buckets down low. It just seems like it's kind of just backyard basketball. But I'm confident at the same time. I mean, they literally beat Texas. They outplayed them. They dominated UCLA in the second half. You know, this team could go on a massive run in March. I mean, these tournaments can be completely wide open. Like, who's the best team in the country? Houston? Houston or Purdue? Houston or Purdue? I mean... Illinois can make some damage it's just you're kind of scared when it's like you know the discipline eight seed or the discipline five seed are they going to win that game
0: I think they're set up better than teams in years past because of their length and athleticism but I guess we'll have to see I don't know I mean like when you and I were freshmen in 2019 the team had growing pains they lost to Nichols or almost lost to Nichols State you know they lost to Miami at home. When Illinois got the one seed, they nearly lost to Ohio. They lost bragging rights to a Missouri team that wasn't very good. Um, Last season, you know, they didn't look very impressive at the start of the season. Like we've seen this before. I just hope that, you know, Brad and the team's able to find something that clicks and gives them offensive identity. And like you said, and then at that point you can hopefully go on a run, win some conference games and Ideally, at least get to the second weekend in March. Like, I feel like that's all we're asking for at this point.
1: At sweet 16, yes. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing I will say about those other teams with growing pains, you always knew I would assume who was going to take charge. Last season, you knew Kofi Coburn was going to score 20 points and 10 rebounds. There's not a surefire offensive player on this team this year. That's I love ness I think he's going to be a great four-year starter. I just yeah. don't think he's ready for prime time. He's extremely inconsistent. You know, you could count on Kofi. I can't count on Coleman to give you 15 points.
0: Right. So. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, for Thursday, Missouri's two leading scores are Des Demoy Hodge, who I mentioned, and then number two is Kobe Brown, who's another guard, but he is six foot eight. He's averaging 13 game, uh, five rebounds, two assists, can kind of do it all. He's shooting 40% from three, 60% from the field. He's good. A six eight guard is always going to kill you. So I think, you know, in games like this where you have your two leading scores as um, as guards and then a six-six forward per se, Noah Card is your third leading scorer. You got to like look to Illinois' length and athleticism that we were looking forward to coming in, I think, to get stops. Like, yeah, I think Terrence at six foot six has really got to cover the six-four guard the way they weren't able to cover Pickett. Look at Coleman to stop the six eight guard because he's been good on bigger guards this year. When you have a six, six big, Matthew Mayer is the type of guy that's got to lock up on him. And hopefully, it's the same on the offensive end, right? Try and find matchups, uh, exploit the defense, set some screens, get some points in the basket. I think it's just, it's a very, very winnable game. But your typical Illinois team, you know, under John Gross or the early Underwood years, that comes in a little cocky, maybe not so prepared, loses this game by five or 10 points. So yeah, you I, know, I think we're going to learn a lot.
1: I, I mean, size wise, this is a beautiful matchup for Illinois. I mean, this is a game where Dane's danger could probably score 15 points if he needs. I mean, Coleman but then Hawkins, again. We
0: said that I mean, against Penn State, so
1: I, I know it's the same issue. Like matchup wise, length wise, I mean, Illinois should blow this team out of the water. Um, Missouri's yeah. not a good three-point defending team either. It's it's really Illinois playing themselves. You know, it yeah. kind of seems like golf. It's a very mental game. If they stick to their role, yes, they should probably win by 25 points. Kansas beaten by 30. And I'm going to say it, Kansas and Illinois, they're evenly matched. They play in the secret scrimmage. They play similarly. I mean, if Brad Underwood drops this game, that is scary.
0: No, I agree with you. That is scary. I do think Kansas is a little better because they have that top ten pick. That six-foot-eight guard Grady deck is really, really good. He can put the ball in the basket better than anyone in Illinois can. But, like, you're right. We know that the secret scrimmage – was basically even. Kansas was a little bit better, but regardless, a 30 point loss to Kansas is something that Illinois should look at and at least be like, okay, we know we have a shot to blow them out, but you just can't get cocky. Same thing well, with Penn State, right. right? Go into the game expecting to get your toughest fight of the year. You want this to be Missouri Super Bowl. Then that prepares you, right? So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. I think that if they lose this game, I.
1: You went there's last more, year.
0: Right? What? I was Did there go last, last year, year. I was, yeah.
1: What's it like? Is it, like it was do you, fun. Do you sense Missouri and Illinois hate each other? Like, what's it like with the fans, like the marching band?
0: There's definitely a rivalry. Illinois filled up about 70 80% of the stadium last year, which was really cool. Obviously, Mizzou was having a down year. Illinois won the game by 30. Mizzou fans cleared out, you know, with 10 minutes to go. This year, the stadium's actually sold out. They play in the Enterprise Center in St. Louis, which is where the Blues play. So it is sold out this year. I think it's a little bit more even. It's probably going to be about 55, 60% of Illinois fans this year. It's a good atmosphere. It's fun. Like, people, you know, take it seriously. There's some trash talk before the game. Like, you know, nothing too crazy. But these teams don't like each other. It's very obvious. I think that, you know, for a little bit, the rivalry was dead. And then in 2019, Alan Griffin, you know, stomped on a Mizzou player's uh, chest. Or, or no, that was that was something different. But they were getting technical fouls left and right at the free throw line at the end of the game. and Unfortunately for Illinois, it's much easier for Mizzou to talk trash because they're the inferior team. If Illinois wins, oh, whatever, you were supposed to, but Missouri's in the spot where we got nothing to lose. So that's kind of what increases the rivalry too, especially on the Illinois side of things. So it's a fun atmosphere.
1: We're always connected with Mark Smith. Dude, it's weird, isn't it? He's really He wasn't that good though.
0: He started for us. He went to Missouri. I think he ended up playing for Kansas State. Yeah, what a weirdo. Yeah.
1: Should be a big, game. Big,
0: big game for Brad. Brad's got to win this one. This is a game where you look at, you know, you're coming off a terrible loss to Penn State. You have growing pains against some awful, awful, barely division one team like take care of business against Missouri, you know.
1: OK, what no. what's what's the one key stat you want to see? What player do you want to score 15 points?
0: I want, I want Terrence Shannon to get to the rim. I don't think that there's a good matchup defensively. I think that that Kobe Brown's going to have to cover someone else. And even if he is covering Terrence, fine, get five or six assists, pass it out to people like RJ Melendez or Matt Meyer or something for three. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be in the point category, but I want Terrence Terrence Shannon Jr. to control the game. There are some seniors out there. He's a senior. I feel like this is a game where you can really take a good leadership role, especially, you know, if we're hearing that there's some arguments in the locker room, Take it upon yourself to get this team going. Brad Underwood's praised your leadership all year. And then against Penn State, he makes a fart <laughs> noise at your leadership, you know, in the post-game press conference after a question by Jeremy Werner. Take control, run the offense through you, get Illinois with a comfortable lead, and then play it from there.
1: Is Terrence Shannon an everyday guy? <laughs> I haven't seen it.
0: There's a, I mean, no one's proved that they're an everyday guy in this roster besides Sincere, sincere Harris so far, according to
1: Brad. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the big thing for parents. If you can get to the free throw line 19 times against Kansas, you can do it against Missouri. Yeah, here should be a first round pick. I just think he got a little cocky after UCLA. I
0: agree, and then maybe Texas, you know, was like a little jump start, but then obviously Penn State was a disaster. So,
1: yeah. all, all right, right. well, that's the basketball stuff.
0: Yeah, we'll transition out of basketball for the last few minutes here. Just talk a little bit of Illinois football news. Uh, this morning, we woke up to news that Brett Bielema had been extended another two years with a little bit of a raise. So that means Illinois has control of Brett Bielema for the next six years, I believe, which is good for Illinois. I don't think anyone's questioning whether or not he's the guy. And I think that him raising his salary up to $6 million, but not a little bit, little bit higher, Carson, is I think he wants to put a little bit of emphasis on making sure his assistants are paid.
1: Yeah, you know, you bump up the salary because it's respect. Yeah. You know, Mel Tucker's making $9.5 million. I mean, Brett Bielema making $6 million seems pretty fair. And paying assistance, I mean, that's incredibly important. He's got a good staff. You want to keep Andy Boo on the roster. I mean, you're going to have to pay him. You want Barry London, you know, to stay. If you want George McDonald, you got to pay your assistance. That's huge. That was a big concern about Brett Bielema at Wisconsin. He didn't think his assistants were getting paid well. I trust Josh Whitman to have this be well-funded. We've seen what he's done with NIL, with athletes. I mean, there's a huge emphasis on getting a Johnny Newton back, trying to get even Chase Brown back for next year. Yep. Um, you know, Ryan Walters, eight games into his tenure, he's a top-10 paid coordinator in the country with an extension. Josh one won the best in the game as an athletic director. I mean, this team is always going to be prepared financially. I think the only roadblock with Illinois is probably more systematic. I mean, if other teams are scoring more points because they have more fresh offenses or recruiting's not going too well, like that happens. But the coaches are going to get paid well. The facilities are going to be good. I mean, Illinois football should be pretty excited.
0: Uh, It's very clear to me, not that it wasn't a couple years ago, but just we keep on getting emphasis on it. Josh Whitman gets it. He knows what he has to do to win. He knows what he has to do, you know, to be competitive. I'm sure if Brett was like, Josh, I want $8 million, you know, Josh Whitman would have said, fine, you're getting $8 million a year. But I think that it was the two of them collectively that were like, look what happened to Wisconsin. Obviously, Ryan Walters left. He was going to leave anyways. But make sure we can build a core staff that we can keep together. Because like you said, what if Barry Lunny gets offered a job from, you know, a school like Kentucky, who might, you know, seem similar to Illinois, but they're in the SEC and they can give him a little bit more big boy money. Well, yeah. that's a guy you can lose. So pay your assistants right. Um, obviously, I love the contract extension with BLM. I think we're both pretty much sold on him. I am at least. Um, you're getting your assistance back. Hopefully that lays the groundwork for future success. Uh, in other news and more player news, Illinois it looks like they have two people opting out of the bowl game, and that's it. You have Devon Witherspoon, who was gonna be probably you know a projected first-round pick. He was gonna leave anyways, and then someone that was also leaving, anyways, but kind of surprised me for opting out of the bowl game because they've been through so much with Illinois, Sydney Brown, he announced the same time that Devon Witherspoon did that he was opting out of the bowl game and, you know, Brett and the team had a little press conference for them just to thank them. You know, I, I get it. It's a business decision. He probably thinks he's going to be a second round or a second day pick and doesn't want to drop to the third day, but like, I'm just not sure how much, you know, how often you see guys that are going to be fifth, sixth, seventh round picks opting out of bowl
1: games. Yeah, I don't know. He's ranked seventh best for his position. Um, Sydney Brown's been through a lot with Illinois. I mean, he's been there in 2018 when they're giving up 60 points a game to, you know, to really good teams like Iowa, like to Maryland. And now he's been on an Illinois team that's been giving up 12 points a game. I mean, it's been an incredible turnaround. And Sydney Brown has improved. I mean, there has been questions with his pass coverage at times, but he has been a playmaker. I mean, it seems like he's always there for an interception this year. Um, I can't tell a player what to do, though, I mean, yeah. with bowl games. I mean, I think I view bowl games more as a celebration of the season. It's more about the path of getting there, getting the 15 extra practices, you know, with young players. I mean, that's fantastic. If Sydney Brown doesn't want to play, you know, so be it. I wish he did play, but yeah. it's not of the world.
0: With guys like Devon Witherspoon, like when you're a projected first-round pick, when you ha- when you go from no draft stock to projected first-round pick, I get it. You'd look at the Sugar Bowl in Alabama. Bryce Young and Will Anderson are both playing even after, you know, in their terms of mediocre years. So you look at that and you're like, okay, That's like Devon, Devon, I get it. Sydney should be playing. Whatever, it's a business decision. Do your thing. I think even more important than the two people that are opting out are the people that aren't opting out. The three that I'm going to highlight here are Chase Brown, Johnny Newton, and Keith Randolph. Because them not opting out, you know, gives me the feeling that like, hey, maybe with this whole NIL thing that Josh women has got going, there might be an extra push to keep them. Year again next year.
1: Oh, there is. I mean, John Newton and Keith Randolph. I mean, that is the biggest piece next year because well, they awesome. are kind of they are losing a lot in the secondary. They are losing Ryan Walters. For them to return one of the best pass rush duos in college football. I mean, that's going to patch up a lot of holes for this team. I mean, if Illinois gets a Hudson card, if they return that defensive line, I mean, this team is a dark horse to make you know a New year's six bowl. I mean, they're gonna be very talented. Chase Brown I don't know why he stays I really don't because he's going to be a fourth or fifth round sixth round pick this year even if he comes back for next season where would he be drafted if he rushes for nineteen hundred yards he's never gonna be a first round or second round pick I don't know like, like for a Chase Brown like if he leaves you get an NFL contract There was a guy in the sixth round who's the guy for the Atlanta Falcons this year Aguilar Three-year contract, $4 million total. I mean, you're not going to make that with NIL money at Illinois.
0: Chase uh, yeah, I, don't, go. I don't know. I mean, I think that a real concern with Chase for the NFL is his body type because he's speed. He reads a front seven better than anyone that I saw in college football this year, which is good. But these big boys tackle hard. I mean, against Michigan, you know, until that one run in the second half, like he couldn't get much going. And when you have a thinner body type, I think it's really hard to succeed in the NFL. So maybe he's thinking to himself, yeah, if I leave right now, I'll be a fifth, sixth round pick. But age doesn't matter as much in the NFL. The average NFL career is only three years. So maybe he's thinking to himself, if I stay, one, I can make over a million dollars in Illinois this year, that's guaranteed. And two, if I can put on a few pounds and show a little bit more of my game, maybe get in the end zone a little more, could boost my stock up to an early second day draft pick. So maybe he's thinking, that hey, maybe there's a part of him that just wants to come back. Like, Justin Herbert could have been the number one pick in the draft, and he said, nope, going back to Oregon. Then he ended up with the fifth-round pick. And that worked out for him. But we really don't know what Chase is thinking. Maybe he wants another year. Maybe. I just think that with the injuries that he's had in previous games, specifically against, you know, Purdue, dealing with stuff against Northwestern, if he was really all 100% set on the draft, he would have
1: opted out, and I would have understood. I just don't see what he's getting. Like, I, I just personally think he, he's not a great blocker. He's not the best pass catcher. He's got fumbling issues. You're already kind of guaranteed a fourth, fifth-round pick this year. I mean, nothing's really going to change that much. I feel like you got to take the contract in the NFL. He can't make enough in NIL to make up for, you know, a big NFL contract. But again, if Illinois gets him, I mean, they're pretty loaded. Imagine getting yeah. Luke Altmyer, Hudson Card paired with a Chase Brown. Paired with an Isaiah Williams, I mean, they should be able to score around 30 points a game.
0: Yeah, maybe it's just my Illinois bias, but I do think that Chase could benefit from one more year to move up to like a third ish round pick just because of putting on some more weight, proving that he can score more touchdowns and figuring out those fumble issues, which you uh, alluded to. That is a good point. So, you know, you've mentioned names like Luke Altmeyer and Hudson Card, and those are super relevant right now because what we're learning about the quarterback situation with Illinois is that. Looks like Tommy DeVito's not going to get a waiver. It was denied, which, you know, would have been a minor miracle if he would have gotten one. would have been great. I think that you and I agreed that that was our top option for the quarterback spot next year. And then uh, in other very recent news, Devin Leary, brother of Donovan Leary, former NC State quarterback, preseason ACC player of the year. Well, he signed with Kentucky. He would have been a home run. Might have been a little unrealistic to think about him. And now Illinois seems to have their focus on two guys. It's Hudson Card out of Texas and Luke Altmaier out of Ole Miss. And we haven't seen a ton out of either of these guys, but Hudson Card stepped in for Quinn Ewers this year against Alabama in the following couple, three games uh, for Texas when Ewers was hurt. Looked very good. His mobile gets the ball out quick. I think he'd be a perfect fit in Barry Lenny's scheme. And then you have Luke Altmaier, who's a former four-star and came in for Matt Corral last year in their bowl game. You know, was played pretty well. Uh, but it looked like he just needed more time in the offense, ultimately lost the job to Jackson Dart this year, who's probably going to be an NFL quarterback one day. But the key thing for me is that they both have two or three years of of eligibility and they have proven talent. They were high recruits and what they've shown at the college level in high major games is, you know, it is uh, encouraging and it's productive. So if Illinois is able to get either one of those guys, I'm going to feel really good about the team, you know, definitely making another bowl game, maybe making a push for the West next year though.
1: Yeah, you know Hudson Card didn't get benched at Texas because he underperformed like Tommy DeVito at Syracuse. He got benched because Quinn Ears, one of the highest-rated recruits of all time, transferred to Texas. Yeah, you know I mean like Hudson Card is very good. I mean seven touchdowns, one interception this year in very limited time. He's a better Tommy DeVito. I mean he'd be great for the quick passing game. He's he's very mobile. Yeah, makes really good decisions, and to get him for two years. I mean, that's huge. I mean, I'm sick of Illinois just getting a Tommy DeVito for one year and then having to start an Art Sikowski for one year. Like, this can build up chemistry with the wide receivers. Hudson Card has to be the top target. It looks like it's between Illinois and Notre Dame. Yeah.
0: The the thing about Hudson Card is like, and we've seen, especially recently, Carson, with Illinois quarterback specifically – how important it is to have a quick release time, right? Like I think something we saw with Art Sikowski against Iowa, part of the reason he couldn't move the ball as well is because he took a longer time getting the ball, you know, out of his, out of his hands. And something about Hudson Carr is that he was one of the most productive and efficient release times in a, you know, in college football, even in limited time. So if you have a guy that can get the ball out fast, like you said, is mobile and then, has, you know, time to throw with this Illinois offensive line that seems like it's shaping up really nicely. A wide receiver room that's deep uh, and has a lot of variety. A running game that you feel encouraged about. That's a really good offense heading into next year. I agree with you. That would put Illinois in a great spot.
1: I think they'd win the West because I think Wisconsin's going to go through a little bit of a rough patch for maybe a season. You know, they have a lot of transfers. Who's their quarterback? I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in Luke Fickle's first year. Illinois catches Penn State early. Nebraska, are they Big Ten ready? Does Matt Rule really have a Big Ten roster? Because that offense line has been atrocious for four seasons. Right. I mean, Illinois has a really good opportunity to go ten and two and make you know the Big Ten championship.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And Hudson has two years of eligibility left, which would be phenomenal. But Luke Altmaier has three, and it, you know you feel good me, about man. three. But the other thing about Luke is that there's just a lot of uncertainties, right? You know, he stepped in for the bowl game last year. When Corral got hurt, looked pretty good. I think you said they only scored seven points, but everyone's like, "Okay, like this guy has a lot of potential." You just don't know as much about what you're getting with him. But Carson, when you get a guy that's a four-star, top two hundred kid coming out of high school, he goes to Ole Miss, where he could have gone to other bigger schools. He's six foot two, one you know, 190, 200, good physical presence, also has a good release. I'm not sure about how mobile he is, but even with a guy like that, you feel pretty good about what you
1: have coming in. I think. I just love how Illinois is elevating the floor. I mean, yeah. last season, when they got Tommy DeVito, that was a disappointment. You got Syracuse's backup quarterback for two seasons. People were not excited. You get Art Sikowski, backup quarterback from Rutgers. Like, that does not scream Big Ten championship contender. In one season, Brett Bielema is now talking to the number three transfer quarterback in the country, Hudson Card. We were joking around if they could get Hudson Card in October. We thought it was a pipe dream. And, you know, one of my buddies brought up, like, what if they miss on both of these guys? Like, what does Illinois do? I have confidence that the staff did their homework and know that these are two realistic options. Yeah. That if they don't get Hudson Card, they pretty much have Luke in their back pocket. And you really hope
0: so, right? Because I think there's a pretty big drop off in talent or expected talent after that. Oh, they're scared of good, But I, I think I agree with you. But again, like, Brett's been through this enough to know right? Barry Lenny's been around college football long enough in the SEC and at UTSA to know, like, we got to feel good about these guys. My guess is that if Hudson Card goes to Notre Dame, we would see a commitment out of Luke Altmeyer within the day. That's my prediction. But yeah. obviously, we could be wrong. And who knows, Carson, maybe in a week from now, we're back on the podcast saying Hudson went to Notre Dame. Luke went to Louisville. Like,
1: you know, the guy in, in Illinois's back pocket, the third string, is a guy named Donovan Smith from Texas Tech. He's a mobile guy, not as obviously ceiling not as high as a Hudson Carter. Yeah. Illinois pretty confident they're gonna get a power five quarterback. Yeah. Donovan Smith has years of ability. Like so it's clear that Brett Bielema is done with the one-year, you know, band-aid. You know, he yeah. wants a guy that can develop with Barry Lunny, and I think that's important.
0: Like you alluded to with, you know, talking to the number three transfer quarterback, I just think it's very impressive, you know, what we've, and we say it all the time, is what Brett's been able to do for the program. Like, he comes into a disaster with Lovey Smith, uh, leaving, goes five and seven, followed by an eight and four-year. He makes the offensive coordinator change. He has a defensive coordinator that's now going to be the head coach at Purdue. You have a very good staff that you're trying to reshape, but people are getting jobs because they're good. Kevin Kane is going to be the D.C. at Purdue you're talking to these transfers. You're bringing in linemen that you feel good about. Your recruiting's moving up in the rankings. Like, just a big credit to Brett, and it goes to his extension. But what Josh Whitman and Brett Bielema, I think I've been able to accomplish together is pretty cool for I fans to see, considering how awful the program was not even two or three years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, if this offense can consistently score 30 points a game, like if we can finally trust Barry Lunny to make the aggressive calls against Michigan in the fourth quarter. I mean, this Illinois program can be competing for the 12-team playoff. Yeah. Like, I'm serious. I mean, Brett Bielman knows what he's doing on defense. He understands Big Ten offenses and how to stop them. Lovie Smith gave up 30 points a game for five straight years. If they didn't get turnovers, they lost. Well, within four games at Illinois, he rebuilt the defense, and they give up, what, 15 points a game? I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. He deserves the contract, and, you know, if they keep winning, he's going to start getting paid eight, $9 million a year. Yep.
0: Good for Brett. Good for the program.
1: Yeah. It's a fun time.
0: All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, we're going to have a lot more content coming here. You know, when Illinois gets a transfer quarterback, we're going to discuss that. Regardless, we're going to have a lot of basketball talk to discuss on the podcast over the rest of winter break into when we go back to school and we get the real start of Big Ten play. For Illinois, that'll all be here on the Daily Illinois Sports Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening.